This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Amen. Amen. A couple times in our series through Galatians, we've uh, referenced the parable of the prodigal son. And we've done it because it's such a great illustration of what Paul is trying to convey to the Galatian church. And it shows us and helps us understand what he's saying. So today, uh, as we start, I want to go back to the prodigal son story one more time, but there's going to be a little twist to it. We all know the story as a son who goes to his father and says, I want nothing to do with you anymore. Give me my inheritance and I will be on my way. So the father gives him his money. The son goes off to a foreign land. He recklessly spends all his money, finds himself broke and hungry, and so he hires himself out to uh, feed pigs. And as he is struggling, as he looks at the feed of the pigs and wishes that he could eat of it himself, he reflects on what he has done and decides to go back home. And as on his way back home, he doesn't have a mindset of asking the father, please receive me again as your son, but he has a mindset of, Perhaps you would receive me, Father, as a servant. Let me work for you and earn my keep. Maybe then I'll have a good meal and a roof over my head. And so what happens when he gets home? What happens when he finally arrives and sees his father? Luke 15, 24 uh, tells us, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The father celebrates after being betrayed by his son. He puts the robe, the ring, the shoes on him. And it's a sign that he honors his son again as his son. Not a servant. He celebrates, they kill the calf, and they have a great feast. He says, my son was dead, but now is alive. All of this to show that the son had been restored to his original position as a son of the father, not a servant. This is representative of how God receives us when we put our trust and faith in Jesus. We are received fully as loved sons. And everything I said right now is exactly how the Bible tells us, everything I've said right now is how the Bible tells the story. But this next part is a hypothetical. It's for illustration purposes. You won't find it in your Bible. But imagine the son comes home, they have a party, he's received, and the next day the son goes out into the fields of his father. And he starts working tirelessly because he's afraid that, you know what, maybe my father hasn't truly received me again. And at night he goes into the kitchen with all the other servants and he's preparing dinner anxiously thinking, perhaps my father is going to turn me away. So I need to earn my keep. 
And at dinner time, instead of going into where the, the dinner table where the family eats, he hides and goes away to the servants' quarters and has dinner with them because he's ashamed and he can't show his face to the father. That would be absurd. Why would he do this? The father already clothed him, gave him the ring, the shoes, had a feast. He accepted him and brought him home. So why would the son possibly do this? It would be because he'd be insecure about his father's love for him. He's insecure if he's really forgiven, accepted, and loved. If he's truly his son. You see, this insecurity resulted in him living as a servant, as a slave. And this is exactly what's happening to the Gentile church because of the Judaizers and their legalism. That they heard this message that you need the gospel plus the law. And now salvation depended on what they needed to do. And they were insecure in God's full and acceptance of them. And the, matter, uh, the fact of the matter is, is that we're all prone to this insecurity of the gospel. It could be false teachings of the world, the, the lies that we tell ourselves in our head, our own for forgetfulness, our situations, whatever it may be, we struggle with fully resting with being secure in the gospel, to truly know it, to live it, and to understand it. And when we do this, when we're insecure in the gospel, it will result us to being enslaved. In today's passage, we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the insecurity of the gospel and how it enslaves us. And we're going to look at the security of the gospel and how it sets us free. So insecurity enslaves us and security frees us. So first, let's take a look at insecurity. Our insecurity in the gospel leads us to be enslaved to things that only God provides. I'll say that again. Our insecurity in the gospel leads us to be enslaved to things that only God can provide. So for the past two weeks, like I mentioned, Paul was telling the Galatian church that you are love, that you are sons. When you come to know Jesus and put your trust in him, you become children of promise, Abraham's offspring, full heirs to the full inheritance of God, completely loved and accepted as his sons and daughters. And immediately after, in today's passage, Paul takes a step back and reminds the, Gentile, or the Gentiles at the Galatian church who they once were before the gospel and how they are acting now currently. And what we need to know uh, about the gospel, um, I'm sorry, let's uh, look down into our Bibles, into our scripture, and read verses 10, 8 to 10 uh, together once again. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and elementary, worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. So who the Gentiles were before God, they were enslaved to false gods. What they're doing now, they're going back to this enslavement. What we need to know about the Gentiles is before the gospel, they were idol-worshiping pagans. And pagans at that time, they had gods for everything. They had a sun god, an ocean god, an earth god, a fertility god. Whatever they saw in the reality, they created a god for it. 
And so whatever they desired in their heart, whatever satisfied them, they thought would satisfy them, they would serve and worship that God because that God would, you know, technically be able to provide that for them. So if you found your self-worth in your family and having lots of children and that's how you felt loved, then you would go to the fertility God, you would pray to him or her, I don't even know, and you would offer sacrifices, you would perform rituals, you would be enslaved to this God so that maybe if you do enough, you would appease this God, that you would satisfy him and that God would in turn give you what you want. This is the way that they live. And Paul is describing this as enslavement. Make sacrifices, give money, perform rituals, work harder, and you might satisfy this God, and he will give you what you want. But Paul is so much more, he's not worried so much that they're going to go back to these false gods, these non-gods, but he's worried that their insecurity of the gospel would lead them, would enslave them as they pursue God. So as they pursue God, because of their insecurity, they would be enslaved. So what do you want to mean? If we saw, we saw in verse 10, it says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. And this is, it sounds like an obscure statement, but Paul is referring to the religious Jewish calendar. Judaizers were coming into the church and telling them, that the Gentiles, that they needed the gospel, plus they needed to be circumcised. They needed the gospel, plus they needed to follow dietary laws. You needed the gospel, plus you needed to follow the calendar. You needed to keep the holy days. You needed to keep the festivals. You needed to keep the sabbatical years. You needed to strictly observe all their calendar. And if you do this well enough, maybe you'll appease God. Maybe you'll satisfy him and he will give you salvation. It's awfully familiar, isn't it? Do you see the similarities this is what Paul refers to as weak and worthless elemental principles of the world. For the pagan, it was work hard to serve these false gods to get what your heart wants. For the Jew, it was work hard to serve God to earn your salvation, your righteousness. What Paul is saying is your legalism, your religiosity, and your pursuit of God is the same enslavement as worshiping false idols. Our insecurity in the gospel leads us to be enslaved to things that only God can provide. They are, these two things are one and the same. In both situations, whether we're pursuing legalism in our religion or we're trying to seek for idols that are not God, what we're doing essentially is working to earn our own salvation, to get, earn our own life. And again, our security in the, insecurity in the gospel leads us to be enslaved to these things that only God can provide. I want us to take a moment uh, to really kind of reflect on our hearts this afternoon. Really kind of just be honest with ourselves. Some of us may be dealing with legalism in our walk with God. Intentionally, unintentionally, doesn't matter. But let's look at our hearts, all right? Some of us might be telling ourselves, I need to do better. I need to get myself together so I can go to church on Sunday and look like a proper Christian. Some of us are struggling with sin and we're falling into it and we're falling over and over and over again. And we're thinking, God does not accept me. I need to get rid of this sin. I need to overcome this battle first and then I will be acceptable to God. 
For others of us, it might be Sunday attendance or Bible reading that we've turned into forms of legalism. And this is a way to tell if your pursuit of God has become an idol. This thing, whatever you hold, right, this is how you tell. You hold that thing to determine God's love for you. So your ability or inability to follow whatever that is determines God's love for you. So to give an example, Bible reading. This Bible reading, we should all be involved with it. We should love the scriptures, be studying in it. And imagine, okay, you wake up and you've been doing your quiet times for five months in a row every morning without missing it. You're reading five chapters a day to get through the Bible in a whole year. And you feel great, like, yeah, I'm God's golden boy. You know, I'm feeling good. You know, God must love me. But then you miss a day or two or three. It becomes a week, two weeks. And all of a sudden, that kind of security you had in yourself for being able to do that, you start to wonder, like, oh, maybe God doesn't love me as much. You know, I don't think he accepts me as much because I'm not going to the scriptures like I should be. You see how that, your ability to read the scriptures and your inability to do it determines God's love for you in your mind. If you're doing that, it's possible that your pursuit of God has enslaved you. Think about the things that you pursue in your walk with God. Do you let those things, your ability to do them, determine God's love for you? So often we do this in our, in our faith, unknowingly. And the caution today is here, here is don't let it determine whether you think God loves you or not. He doesn't look at you and, and say, oh, Sean missed quiet time this week. Oh, he missed service last Sunday. He didn't tithe as much as he should have, so I love him less. God's love for you does not fluctuate. It's secure. It stays consistent. Others of us may not be dealing with legalism in our walk with God, but we are enslaved to false gods. And you might be saying, well, that's false gods. I'm not like those crazy pagans worshiping like the sun and the moon and stars. I'm not going to temple and praying to Buddha and Krishna. And you're not. You're, you're probably right. But we do have a different set of idols that we are enslaved to. If you think deeper into why these pagans were worshiping these idols, you see that we actually participate in the same thing. First, uh, let's think about what an idol is. Pastor Tim Keller tells us that, uh, he says, what is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I feel like my life has meaning. Then I'll know I'll have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. These pagans, they didn't worship and serve these gods necessarily because they loved the sun god. No, they went to them to find meaning, value, significance, and security through the things that these gods were offering. And that's what we're all prone to. When we're insecure about the gospel, insecure that God fully loves us and accepts us, 
we look to find meaning, value, significance, and security in other things. For some of us, that can be our work, family, relationships, finances. These are all things that God has created that aren't necessarily bad. But when we start finding our ultimate purpose and value and security in those things, it's become an idol. Imagine you're at work. Things are going well. You, you, you know, you're, you're killing it. Your boss is praising you. Your projects are succeeding. Your coworkers, the relationships are going well. And you just feel this high and you feel so secure. You feel like you're on top of the world. You feel like you're, you're so valued and loved. But then the next month, you make a mistake on a report. Boss chews you out. You don't perform at the level that you were performing at. You're afraid that you're not going to get the promotion. And then what happens? All of a sudden, you become insecure about yourself. You feel like you've lost value. You feel like you've lost purpose. If we're not careful, the things that God has given us, the things that God has created, we can turn it into our idol. If we don't find our value, security, and our, our purpose in God, we're going to try to find it in something else. And when we do that, whatever we're trying to find it in, it's eventually going to let us down. It won't satisfy our hearts like God can satisfy it. We'll keep working and serving and sacrificing and worshiping whatever it is to try to satisfy our hearts. Or we'll eventually come to a point and realize that it won't satisfy us and it'll crush us. And we'll think that we have no value, that we are, and then we'll have no security and we have no purpose because we can't obtain whatever it is we are trying to attain. Either way, we become enslaved to it. This is what our insecurity of the gospel does. It enslaves us to things that only God can provide. Paul is worked up about the Galatians falling back into this slavery. He could not understand it. He was perplexed. And so let's look down in verse 11 and, and see how Paul finishes off our passage today. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. It sounds like pretty harsh words. You know, a lot of us in here are teachers uh, by profession. Imagine a new semester or quarter coming up and you have this lesson plan that you're really excited about. So, you, you know, you're working on it. You're making tweaks to it. You're seeing how you can adapt it to your kids. You're going out to Namdemun to spend your own money buying supplies so they, so they can have the special experiential like object lessons. And you're just putting so much time and effort into it because you want to see these kids flourish and, and grow and learn. And so the quarter starts, you begin the unit, and you're teaching them, you're having fun, you're seeing these kids learn right before your eyes, you're seeing them grow, and your heart is full. But then at the end of the semester, come test day, they sit down and they bomb the tests. They had no idea what you were telling them. Everything went out the window. This is kind of what's going on with the Galatian church. They had experienced the grace and love of God, but now they were living in a way that wasn't according to it. It wasn't a matter of, you know, the church learning chemistry or biology, but it was a matter of, matter of freedom and bondage. 
You get it right, you live in the freedom of Christ that God has given you. You get it wrong, you will live in bondage and slavery to whatever your idol is. And so Paul uses these somewhat harsh words. And I'm not sure how you're receiving these words today. It's not easy to discover the idols of our heart, to be told how we fall short. And I, and I hope that you're not hearing it as a, as a way of, of guilt trip or condemnation or accusatory language. But I hope you hear it as a way of encouragement to help you get back on the right track of living in the freedom of the gospel. Because that was Paul's intent. He wanted to see them live freely in the gospel. And so the question is, how do we get out of slavery and live in the freedom that Christ has afforded us? And that brings us to our next point, security in the gospel. Security in the truth that God knows you will set you free from idols. Security in the truth that God knows you will set you free from idols. Let's uh, read verse 9 uh, one more time. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? We're going to focus on the beginning of this verse. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God. First thing I want to point out here is the verb know in the Bible is not to simply know a fact about something. But it's to know someone in an intimate relationship. It's to be known like your father knows you or your mother knows you. It's to be known like your wife knows you. There's love there. It's an intimacy. And the second thing we need to note is how Paul phrases this. It's not by mistake. He's not saying, oh, it's this and then, oh, never mind, I meant this. We can reread this to mean, but now that you have come to know God, or more importantly, to be known by God. And the emphasis here is that it's more important that God knows you than that you know God. And this is what I mean. We can't love God perfectly. It's just not in our capacity. We can't love our friends or our family or anybody, for, for, for that matter, perfectly. But fortunately, us being Christian, us being loved and saved and accepted by God doesn't depend on our amount of the, how we love him or the amount that we love him, but on the fact that God loves you. Your salvation, your security depends on God knowing you and not your ability to know him. When we are in Christ, we do know God in part. And we do love God imperfectly, yes. But you do, your, your security doesn't, shouldn't depend on how well you know and love and serve God. But your security depends on God knowing and loving you. And this is a good thing because we're so fickle, right? Our love for God and knowing him changes day to day, minute by minute, and depending on the circumstance. All of us, you know. When there's temptation to sin, we take our eyes off of knowing and loving God and we turn it to whatever that sin is. 
if we're going through a hard season in our lives, we're going through suffering and trials, we take our eyes off a of knowing and loving God and we focus on whatever that trial is and it brings anxiety and troubles and disruption. Maybe we have a new girlfriend or boyfriend in our lives and, and it's great and you're spending all this time and attention with them and you're taking your eyes off of knowing and loving God and putting it on that person. Every day, our hearts change and fluctuate. To have our security based on our ability, on our hearts, would be devastating. But to have our security in God, whose love is perfect, whose love never changes, whose love never fluctuates, no matter what you do or do not do, that is true Christian assurance. That is where your security lies, not in your ability, but in God's ability, in God's knowing you and loving you. Security in the gospel is to rest in the unchanging truth that God knows us, loves us, and accepts us. Say that again. Security in the gospel is to rest in the unchanging truth that God knows us, loves us, and accepts us. Not only does this free us from our idols, this is the greatest comfort. This is a solid rock in, in which we walk this faith. We, we trust and rest in this on our journey. But let's do take a look at how this security in the gospel frees us from our idols. You know, in the opening illustration, we talked about the parable, parable uh, prodigal son, excuse me. You know, hypothetically going back into the fields and working hard for his father's love. Going into the kitchen and working for his father's acceptance. Go, you know, eating separately because he's unsure that he's fully forgiven. That all comes from insecurity about his father's love. But if the prodigal son was truly secure that his father loved him and received him and accepted him, the son would go into those fields, not out of duty or chore, and help with the, the work of the house out of love and gratitude to the father. He would go into the kitchen, not to try to earn his place in the house, but out of love and thanks and just a desire to please the father. And he would go to that table where the father sits and engage with him in fellowship and open, honest fellowship, just, uh, just being, you know, yourself and being truly known and truly loved. That's what the gospel do, does for us. It frees us from servitude to idols. When you know that you're fully loved and accepted by God, you know that you don't have to work hard to earn his, earn salvation or his acceptance. When you know you're fully loved and accepted by him, other people's opinions of you don't matter as much. And you're free to love them and be yourself in relationships. You're free to go to work and not let your, your self-worth and your value be determined based upon your performance and what your boss thinks of you. When you rest in his love for you, you will find complete value, security, and purpose and meaning in him. This is what the gospel does for us. It sets us free to love our neighbor, and to love God. St. Augustine uh, once said, 
You have made, made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. This Christian walk, it's not like we meet Jesus and then all of our idols are taken care of and swept under the rug and gone away. But our hearts are consistently looking to find value and purpose and security and rest in something. And if that's not Christ, it's going to be an idol. But fortunately, God's love for us does not change. So even if we do wander to idols, we can be secure that we can come back to him and he'll have open arms in receiving us as his sons and daughters. Church, remember that it's not your ability to be tidied up and cleaned up that God loves you. It's not your own strength, but it's completely his love for you. That he sent Jesus to live the life that you couldn't live and to pay the price for your sins on that cross. It is that, it's the security in that finished work that we can live free from idols and live for God. Let's pray, church. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening, and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.